have uh, all of our events filled out, right? We all are all signed up, right? We just did that in the last uh, couple of minutes. So take your phone out, go to the website, and, and here's, here's what I've learned about ministry. There's opportunities that God provides. Sometimes they're long-term, sometimes they're short-terms. I call them waves. And they're there for a minute, and then they're gone. I mean, you get them for a minute, and then they're gone. This is a wave. And we want you to catch that wave. And the Bible talks about the, the, uh, the, the parable of the talents. And it's your, your time, your treasure, and your, your talent, your, your abilities, your gifts. And it's you. It's, it's you serving. And so this is a wave that you get those opportunities. You get, you get to catch that wave and join that wave and send that time, that talent, off to heaven. And store your treasure in heaven. This is an opportunity for you to catch a wave. And we want you to join us. We want all hands on deck. This is an SOS moment. We need all of you to be involved in this. Uh, I don't need you to make cookies, okay? I need you to be there. I need you to show up, help set up a tent, help tear one down, help serve a meal, help a kid paint his face, you know, get a can of spray paint and something. And, you know, I don't, obviously I'm not doing that. Okay, but we need your boots on the ground. It'll take a couple of hours commitment either here or out in Dyersville. We want you to be there. We want you to join us. So I'm expecting that we're going to get at least 10 people from this service to say, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to do it tonight. Because here's the thing. These are opportunities that are going to be gone. And these are opportunities, if you want to say, God, I want to serve you, well, this is an opportunity to serve God. Now, let me say one last thing. This might not sound like a big event to us. It's just a carnival. It's just a little thing. For these kids, for these families, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for them. They don't get these opportunities. So we want to put on something that will knock their socks off, something that they'll say, that was a great event. And uh, if you would want to be part of that, then you need to sign up and you need to take part in that. So uh, you do that today, okay, so we can see that. We want to get a gauge on how we're doing in that. We want to get as many people involved as possible because, like I said, these waves of opportunity only come for a period of time, and we want to make the most of it. We want to ride this wave for all it's worth. And if you want to join us, get your surfboard, get your phone, and sign up. All right. So here's where we're at this weekend. We've been going through the book of Mark, and we come to a passage, and what, as I was thinking about it, I said, this is what we tend to do. We tend to try to put God in a box. I think there's a lot of Christians out there that have some sort of a negotiation going on with God. They kind of have this idea that, well, God, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this, and as long as you do that, I'll do this. But then when God doesn't seem to do what they think he should do, they get upset, they may walk away from him, they may be hurt, all those different things go on. So we, we tend to negotiate, or we try to, really the best way is we try to tame God. And too often in Christianity, what we have done is we've tried to tame God. We've tried to make him manageable. Um, but you know what? Here's the thing. The Bible is very clear. He is God. He is Lord. He is King. He doesn't answer to us. And that's, if you've ever read or seen the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, any, you know, any of those, those the, the series of those, he portrays, he portrays uh, the lion 
right? Absent. He portrays him as what? He portrays him as a lion, but he's not tameable. And in fact, here's a quote from the book. Here's what he says. He says, safe, talking about Aslan. He says, safe, who said anything about safe? But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And that's why Lewis wrote and made the, Jesus into a lion. He's not tameable. He's not this kitty. He's not pettable. He doesn't fit into our boxes. We don't negotiate with him. You don't, you don't negotiate with a king, with the Lord. You, 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 you basically follow him. Remember when people were called to follow him and they said, well, I got to do this and I got to do that. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You don't negotiate with me. I'm Lord, I'm king. So in this passage, I'm going to ask two questions. And I think these two questions bring out some, some deeper thoughts that we need to think about. Because I think a lot of people are, have walked away from their faith because there's some things going on that they have tried to put God into a box and they found he doesn't fit and they get all freaked out and they get all upset with him. And really it comes down to they've just not understood who God is. So if you would join me, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And I want to start reading at verse 31. There's just six verses that I'm going to read. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went into, through Sidon into, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said, Epaphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept telling talking about it people were overwhelmed with amazement he has done everything well they said he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak so two questions that i want to ask the first one is in your notes and uh if you came in you, you got a sheet the first one is this why does heal jesus heal this man why does he heal this man you say well that you know i mean they brought this man to jesus now, last week we talked about how he healed a woman's daughter who was demon-possessed. And we said that Jesus was in Gentile territory. So he is not, he's not ministering to his own people, the Jewish people. He's ministering to Gentiles. And so he's moved into the region of the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is on the east side of the, the Sea of Galilee. It's a city, uh, it's a, basically 10 small cities that have joined together probably for political and economic uh, solidarity. And they bring, they bring him a man who is deaf and mute. Now, here's the thing. When we look at this passage, this, when we ask this question, why this man, and we look at who he is, uh, it's from our perspective and from our time period, it doesn't mean anything to us. But if you were a Jew in that time period, uh, if you understood the, the, the kind of the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, you would say... Why is Jesus in Gentile territory? Why is, he ha why is he healing a Gentile? Why did he heal this woman's daughter? Why did he heal this man? They're Gentiles. They're not God-fearers. 
They're not godly people. They're not even his own people. Why is, he, why is he healing these people? These people are not even Jews. They're not God-fearers. Do you think that during this time when Jesus healed this woman's daughter and healed this man, do you think that there were honest or really good, devout uh, Jewish people, God-fearers, who also were deaf, were also mute, who also were demon-possessed? Of course there were. How would you feel if somebody who is supposed to be coming to your people is going somewhere else, and they're not healing your son, your daughter, they're healing the enemy or people that don't deserve it? You see, this is what's going on. And here's the thing. The godly Jews probably looked at this and said, how could he do this? Why wouldn't he heal his own people? Why is Jesus healing a Gentile pagan and not a Jewish God-fearing man? Now, there's two problems that come from this. And this is what this question begins to dig up and it exposes. And the first one is this, that we have a problem because we have developed a formulaic faith. In other words, what I mean by that is, we Christians have a faith formula. And it goes like this. It basically says, because I love Jesus, and because uh, he's my Savior, and because I'm trying to follow him and obey him, then that you put the equal sign, then he will do this, this, and this, right? We have that. Let's be honest, we have that. We believe that because we love him, because we follow him, and because we care for him, and we try to serve him the best that we can, then he should and will heal us. He'll make our life easier, and things will go better. It's kind of how we approach it. So when somebody who doesn't love Jesus, when somebody who is a pagan, when somebody who is... Let's be, let's be real honest. Most of us have prayed for somebody in our lives. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker who has cancer, and we prayed for their healing. We prayed earnestly for them. We begged God for them. Maybe it's a son or daughter, mother, father, you know, somebody that we love, and we prayed for them, and they haven't been healed. And then you hear a story about somebody who is just living their life like, like hell. They, they don't tip their hat to God. They don't care about God. And all of a sudden, they're healed. And you go, that's not right. That doesn't fit my formula. That's not the way it should be. And we get angry. What happens when faithful followers aren't healed, but the pagans are? See, if you relate to Jesus with this formula, you're going to be dis discouraged and you're going to walk away. And many, many Christians have said, I am done with this. I have prayed earnestly for fill in the blank and God never answered my prayer as though God is fitting into their formula and he doesn't. You don't have to turn there, but write this reference down. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Matthew because I want to give you a picture of this. I want to wrap this just for a minute. Matthew chapter 20, just let me just write that down and you'll see the par you'll know the parable when I start reading about it. 
Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landover, landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for a day and sent them into the vineyard. So here, here's the story. He goes early. He finds these workers. He brings them to his vineyard, and he says, I'll pay you a denarius for a day's work, which is generally what they would get for a day's work. But then the landowner goes out again. He goes at 9 in the morning. He goes at noon. He goes at 3, and he goes at 5. All right, so he goes out at these different times. He brings more workers in at these different hours. And then finally he goes at 5 o'clock and he brings more workers in at 5 o'clock. You know, a quitting time is 6. He only brought them in for an hour. Then he brings everyone together. And I'll read that passage, part of the passage to you so you can catch it. When evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers, this is around 6 o'clock, call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones. So he's bringing in the ones that he hired at five, okay? Beginning with the last ones going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon um, came and they received a denarius. Okay, so you get the picture here. They worked an hour for a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, what would you think? If you were the one that was hired in the morning and you saw that somebody who just worked for an hour got a denarius, what would you think? Ah, cha-ching. Good news for me. I'm going to get more than a denarius. Yeah, baby. I thought I was only going to get a denarius. I'm going to get more than that. So when those who, who were first hired, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. What's going on here? They're saying that's not fair. What were they offered? What were the people who began working in the morning offered? One what? Denarius, right? Did, did, did the landowner renege on his contract? Did he... Give them less than he promised? No, he gave them exactly what they promised. He fulfilled his promise. Now here's what happens. Think about what is a denarius. In this story, it's, you know, obviously it's a, there's a deeper principle here. What is a denarius? The denarius represents for us being set free from our sins. That Jesus took our wrath that we deserve. That he adopted us into his family. That he gave us his Holy Spirit. That he prepared a place for us to spend eternity in heaven. That's the denarius that Jesus has given us. When we give our life to him, whether it's early in our life or the last second of our life, that's what he gives us. We get into trouble, though, because we begin to compare our journey with others. And everyone's journey is different. Some are harder, some are easier, some are longer, some are shorter, some are, have higher highs and lower lows. But Jesus promises each of us an internal denarius, and we should rejoice that our name's written down, that our sins are forgiven, and that Jesus prepared a place. And here's the point. The healing of the man shows us that Jesus doesn't operate according to our formula. He, he is God, that he is Lord, he is sovereign. And the two, the two mistakes we make here is this. The first mistake is that we believe that we can put God into a box. That we have this 
formula that we do this and God does this. And I want to just tell you that if you have a formula, formula relationship, a formula faith relationship with Jesus, you are absolutely setting yourself up for disappointment. Here's the second way you set yourself up for disappointment. You look at other people and you say, that's not fair. You compare your life to other people's life. You say, that's not fair. Those are two really good ways to shipwreck your faith. Compare yourself to other people and try to relate to Jesus with a formula, form, formula faith. Those will destroy your faith. You will absolutely be disappointed. So that's the first question. It really, it really says, how do we approach Jesus? And, and what are some of the things that we tend to do that lead us astray from a good, healthy, solid relationship with Jesus? We, we try to approach him with a formula. And number two, we compare ourselves to others. And we will come out and we'll say, it's not fair. Both of them cause us to believe that's not fair. Now, the second question is in your notes, and this, it's this one. How does Jesus heal the man? Now, it's interesting because we've looked at a number of miracles in the Gospel of Mark. Like, for instance, we've seen... Uh, he calms the storm, right? They're, at a, they're in the ocean, uh, and they're, they're going across the sea, and he calms the storm uh, with a word. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead with a word. He says, wake up, dear. <laughs> and she wakes up. He heals this woman, and he doesn't even speak to the daughter. He just says, hey, go back to your daughter. She'll be healed by the time you get home. And she was. And all of a sudden, you have this man who is deaf and mute, and Jesus goes through this, this whole thing. What does he do here? Did you notice? He takes the man aside. He puts his finger into the man's ears. He spits and he touches the man's tongue. <laughs> What's that all about? I mean, it's like, you know, before Jesus is just like the storm of, oh, be quiet, you know, well, daughter, get up. Yeah, go to your daughter, and it's just nothing. He's barely doing anything, and then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, come over here. Hey, you know, he's doing all this stuff. What's going on here? I think this is so interesting to me. He doesn't need, this isn't for Jesus. It's not like he's got to whip himself up, you know, and say, okay, okay, let me see. What is it? Okay, I got to do this, and then i got to get that order right. He doesn't need this. This is not for Jesus. It's for the man. I think what Jesus is doing is he's pulling the man aside from the crowd so it's not a big spectacle. And I think Jesus is putting his hands in his ears because the man, he was trying to show the man what he's going to do. I'm going to open your ears and I'm going to open your tongue. I'm going to loose your tongue. He's using sign language with the man. That's what he's doing. He's taking the time to pull the man aside and have a moment with him. He is showing the man compassion. He looks up to heaven, and it says with a deep sigh, he said with the man, Epaphatha which means be open. Now, epaphatha is one of those words that Jesus gives out every now and then. Uh, what you have to understand very quickly, the New Testament that we have was written in Koine Greek. It's common Greek. Uh, but Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Aramaic has, shares the same alphabet as 
the Hebrew of the Old Testament. And so apathetha is, is just a, is, is just a Aramaic word. And so they translate it, uh, you know, they translate it into the Greek, which we translate into the English, which tells you right away that when you read your English translation, understand you're going from, you know, you're going from another language, Greek, to English. And if you know anything about a couple of, if you've ever done a language, it's hard sometimes to go from one language to another. It's a challenge. But anyways, the, the word apathetha, which is Aramaic means be opened. And it says that the man was, ab- was, was immediately heard and was able to speak. And then, Ju- and then it's interesting, Jesus says, okay, now that you can talk, don't talk. <laughs> don't tell anyone about me. <laughs> right? So it, it, to me, it's kind of ironic. So he allows the man to see, and the man can now speak. And by the way, some people, you know, friends of yours, family members, they've had a stroke, right? And some of them had, have had to go through physical therapy to learn how to talk again, right? Because we take it for granted, right? This man couldn't speak his whole life. And all of a sudden, so there's two miracles. One miracle is he has perfect hearing. The other one is he can speak and be understood. He is able to do that. And Jesus has given him both of those abilities. So it's just an, a, truly an incredible thing. But I think it's ironic that Jesus gives the man a voice and then tells him, don't talk to people about me. And he can't shut up, <laughs> which is funny to me. But here's the thing. Jesus is Lord and he is God, right? He's not tameable. You can't put him in a box. But he absolutely pulls this man aside and shows this man individual loving compassion. Because here's the thing, if, we, if Jesus is unapproachable, then what are we going to do? But what, the other thing is, we've made him so approachable and so fit, you know, we want to squish him into this box, and he's neither. He is a lion, and he's untamable. But he's approachable. He's loving. He's sovereign. And Jesus shows us his grace is not limited to a certain group because he's doing all these miracles to the outsiders, to the, the disenfranchised, to the ones who aren't from the right tribe. And he, and he goes to them and he heals them. One last thing to talk about. <clears throat> it says that when Jesus pulled this man aside and put his fingers in his ears and touched his tongue, it says that he looked up to heaven and he had a deep sigh. Your, your, your translations probably say he had a deep sigh. And uh, there's a, the question is why? Why did he sigh? What was that all about? Because he knew the man was going to get his sight and, or his ear, hearing back and his speech back. He knew that. So, so what's that? I mean, is Jesus like drained by this? I don't think that's what's going on. Well, Specifically, I don't think that he's being drained from the power. The, the word that, uh, it, it's interesting because the, the word that he uses uh, about the man that he said he could hardly talk. That the man couldn't hear, but he could hardly talk. And it's kind of an odd Greek word. Uh, the, the, the phrase that theologians use is hapax legomena, meaning it's only used once in the New Testament. Um, and it's used once in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
And it's used in Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 35. So let me read it to you and let me uh, put some, just write this, these verses down. Isaiah 35 verses 4 through 6. I'll read them to you. It says this. Well, let me do this first. So Isaiah, the context of Isaiah is he's writing, and he's writing, as you know, uh, Isaiah's a prophet, and he's writing a prophetic word about this coming Messiah, this coming one from God. And he's going, he's describing him, and he's talking to him, and he's, he's putting flesh on who this is. And that's why we have so many messianic psalms and messianic uh, passages in the book of Isaiah. This is one of those passages. Let me read it. It says this, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then it says this, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. He will, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. That phrase, mute tongue, is the same phrase that's used of the man that Jesus is healing. So you see what's going on here. Jesus is having a moment here when he, he gives hearing back to this man. He realizes that this is, he's on a mission. Have you ever done that? You get distracted with life and then all of a sudden you realize, oh wait, this is one of those, oh wait, where Jesus, he remembers, he didn't forget it, but he's reminded of the mission that he's on and where it's going to lead you see isaiah is writing about a coming messiah his mission would be to open the ears of the deaf and to loose the tongues of the mute and to heal the lame real quick john the baptist gets thrown into in the prison and he's concerned because well he's in prison and he probably thought that the messiah jesus was going to bring the kingdom a lot quicker and it hasn't come yet and it says this and i want to read this this is just write this reference down mark 11 it says when john heard uh in prison about the works of the messiah he's talking about jesus he sent word through his disciples asking him are you the one who is to come or should we wait for someone else and jesus answered them saying now, listen to what Jesus says, because Jesus is sending a message back to John, and he wants to give John comfort that he is indeed the Messiah. Now, remember the passage I just read from Isaiah. What does it say? It says he's going to give hearing to the deaf, right? Notice what it says. Jesus says this, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor are being told the good news. What happened uh, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the daughter? She was dead. Dead were raised. What happened today? The deaf hear. You see, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, I'm, I'm that Messiah. Now let's go back to the question, why is Jesus signed? I believe he's looking to heaven. He's sighing deeply because he, has, he is fulfilling his mission as the Messiah. And he carries with him, while he is on earth, this weight of the mission. It's the dread. It's the discouragement. It's the, 
You you see it in full force when he's in the garden, when he is on his knees and he's begging begging his father in heaven. And it's the the full force of the weight is on him. But this is a glimpse when when he, he just is random. It's not random, but he meets this man and he heals him and he looks to heaven to heal him. And all of a sudden, the weight of ministry falls upon him because he realizes why he came. Ultimately, it wasn't to heal this man. Now, it's interesting because this passage that I read from Isaiah says that God is going to pour out wrath. Jesus didn't pour out any wrath. What's what's going on here? Well, wrath was poured out. Wrath was poured out. And it wasn't that Jesus poured out wrath. It was that wrath was poured out on him. Remember when he went to the cross, the punishment, the wrath, that we deserve was poured out on Jesus while he was on the cross. The wrath of heaven, the punishment for our sins, the separation from, from the Father, it all took place with, on him on the cross. So when, when he is healing this man, he is looking ahead knowing that the wrath and the separation and the punishment is, and this weight of sin is all going to come down on him. And he sighs. I believe Jesus was sighing deeply as he looked to the impending cross. The King, the Lord, the rescue party of one came from heaven to earth to save you and me from our sins. And when he saw his mission, when he saw his mission, he sighed deeply. He did What you could not do for yourself. He gave his life so that you could live. So what are you doing? Are you putting God in a box? Are you trying to relate to God based upon a formula? You do this and I'll do this. Are you comparing yourselves to others and getting discouraged because you think they're getting a better break than you? Will you allow him to be who he is, that he is God, that he is not tameable? We don't put him in a box. He is God. He is Lord. He is King. And for some unknown reason, he chooses to come alongside of us just like he did with this man. And he pulls us aside. And he said, I want you to be able to hear, and I want you to be able to speak. I want you to be healed. I want you to be forgiven. And he deals with each and every one of us individually and lovingly, carefully. That's the God we serve. We don't have him figured out, not by a long shot. He is a mystery to us, and he must remain a mystery. But when Jesus looks to heaven as he's healing this man, he lets out a deep sigh because he knows the mission that he's on that is going to crush him and kill him. But he goes through it because he loves you and me. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, what are you waiting for? Do you think you're going to get a better offer? I don't think so. Let's pray. 
Help us, Father, to understand the gospel. That Jesus came as a rescue party of one to people who don't deserve it, who could never earn it, who desperately need it. We are lost, we are broken, we are sinners. The wrath that he took, we deserve. The punishment that he took, we should have gotten. The sins that we committed, he took the punishment. Thank you, Father, that he kept on the mission and accomplished and completed the mission. Thank you that the wrath, the punishment that should have fallen on us, fell on him. Help us to understand that he is God, he is king, he is Lord. We do not control him. We bow to him. But thank you that he is approachable and that he approaches us, each of us individually, and knows exactly what we're going through and cares for us so very deeply. For that we are grateful, we are thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.